I feel that the artist is not part of the music industry. And the reason I say that is that the managers, the agents, the promoters, the labels, everybody works in conjunction with each other. Whereas like an artist is interchangeable and can go, you know, five years and, and this, they're usually cycle is like five years or whatever. And I think the business, the on the secret in the business is that they are the business and they're the industry. And we were not at the table at all these discussions. The artist was not at the table at all these discussions. Right. And we didn't get any say so if the music was being lent out to Spotify or whatever for what yeah. rates. And that was not what should have happened. Mm. Nothing against Spotify or whatever they and they say, well, it's good. You know, a lot of times say, well, we do it for the artist. We do it for the artist. We do it for the artist. But that's really not the case. It's mm. for the right holders. So the right holders can pay a pittance to the artist. And I think that we have to realize the reason we're not a unit is that we're not collaborating on the business side. Mm. You know, we always talk about collaborating creatively and all this, but we're not really sharing our information. We're not, we're not, you know, heads off to you for doing what you've done. Cause you, you actually do that. You share a ton of information. that's super valuable to people. Thank you. So it's like, you know, in these communities can grow and, and all that kind of thing. But I think that, and it's not a, us against them thing at all. I think, sure. but I think we would, we would definitely look to have more power as a unit, you know, mm. whereas artists got together and, and realized that, um, we should be at the table at some of these discussions because even if it's not now, what's the next one going to be? You know, like right. how do how right. you figure that out? This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features annual fee, unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com. What's going on? Welcome to the new music business. I'm your host, Ari Herstand, author of How to Make It in the New Music Business. The book third edition is out now everywhere and audiobook all that good stuff. Today, my guest is Clarence Greenwood. Uh, most of you know him as Citizen Cope. Now, I'm a big fan. I've been a big fan of Citizen Cope for probably uh, two decades or so. I, I wore out uh, the Clarence Greenwood recordings album back in the day, and uh, it was a real treat getting to, to chat with Cope today. You know, he is somebody who has been signed to four different major labels, and we talk about this early on in his career, and then has been releasing records independently 
independently for the last 10, 15 years or so. And we talk about that transition as well. Citizen Cope is, has always kind of existed just below the mainstream, uh, so much so that it, you know he's never really had a, a, a radio hit. However, he's been massively successful. And the Clarence Greenwood recordings, the album actually hit gold status 15 years after it was released, which is unheard of. And that was not from TikTok, mind you. Uh, I know that that's what we've been talking about a lot lately is how the resurgence of songs. It's just been a steady growth. Uh, there were no massive spikes over the years or anything like that. And sure, he's had sync placements here and there on, on pretty high profile shows that might have given little bumps like that. But for the most part, it has been a word of he's a word of mouth artist and and he's a an artist that is as grown live over the years and and the records uh, are timeless if you're a fan you know you you can listen to the record today and it's uh or listen to the records from 20 years ago and they're always going to feel current that's what that's what timeless is we get into a, a a lot of great discussions about you know the difference between uh what it's like to work with labels and what it's like to to release records independently and he's had a great career and is still has a great career he just finished a tour and he's about to release a new album in July of this year and you should listen to the singles that he has out right now because they're excellent they're incredible I'm still a huge fan and it was an absolute treat chatting with Cope today you can find Citizen Cope everywhere uh, on the internet, of course, um, all of his records, all of that good stuff. You can find all of us that make the show happen at Ari's Take on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. You can find me at Ari Hurstan on Instagram and Twitter. Visit Ari'sTake.com. Get on the email list. That is, yes, email still the most important thing in <laughs> uh, this day and age when we are, are have, have been prevented access from our audience through the social platforms. I would prefer if we stayed in touch over email. So go to ariestake.com, sign up on the email list if you want to hear more from me and hear about future episodes and all the happenings in the new music business. But right now, if you could just pause this and leave a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or however you're listening to this right now on, on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit the follow button if you want these shows to continue in your feed. All right, let's kick into the show. Clarence Greenwood, Citizen Co. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, it's great. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it's funny. I've over the years I've seen you know uh, people refer call you Citizen Cope, call you Clarence. What do you prefer? Well, Clarence is my real name. Cope uh -huh. is a nickname, which is short for my middle name. Okay. Uh, which Do is people Copeland. just call you Cope? Yeah, sometimes people call me Cope. Sometimes people call me Clarence. It's like depends <laughs> if it's a business setting or a more kind of like casual setting. Yeah, I watched one interview that you gave on. Uh, it was very formal. There was uh, it was high production value. I feel it was like like Yahoo News or something like that a couple of years ago. And uh, the the anchor of the of the program uh he started with the citizen cope and then and then eventually migrated into clarence greenwood and then he just looked like a deer in the headlights the whole time i think he was out of his element talking about the music business uh he didn't really know what was going on <laughs> all right right <laughs> <laughs> you know it's uh when you, when you ask people to talk about the music industry who uh who've spent you know no time in it and just kind of dabble their toes and read the headlines um it's it's always entertaining to watch those and definitely be a part 
part of them. Um, and so uh, you did a great job uh, of, of trying to educate in like the 37 seconds that they gave you to speak. So yeah, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, it was a difficult one to try to try to try to get it all in on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, we I all wanna... know how 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 changing it is. You know? Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I, um, you know, I what I appreciate you coming on um, and talking today. Um, and it, yeah, here I'll take some of that if you want to pass that through there. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so uh, you know what. I want to dig in. Well, first off, I saw you just got off of a, a solo tour. Um, how how did that go? How was it? Um, you know, doing the doing this tour solo after, you know, it went the- well. I've 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 always done solo tours like throughout my career, so it's yeah. always been kind of like something I've enjoyed doing and expressing the songs like that in a more kind of in your face way. Yeah, and it's it's been great because I'm just. You know what's interesting about performing is is when you allow yourself to grow. There's yeah. times where you're not growing, and then you see, oh wow, there's something creative in in the performance section that mm. just grew as far as communication and everything. So I think that's one of the the real blessings in in playing music or recording is is getting kind of over humps or creative kind of like creative kind of just stagnation what do you feel the big difference is uh in that communication with the audience when you're performing solo versus when you have your band with you well i just think over the years i've just been more focused on on kind of being a part having the whole thing as as a union as opposed mm. to me going out and having to give everyone the best show they've ever had, you know, or me putting that on myself. So I think creatively, like maybe just realizing that the people are actually on your side. Mm. I love that. I think what you do is um, it's almost like uh, kind of, cultivating creating an experience uh collectively with everyone versus just a performance and you know there's some artists out there that that do this really well um trevor hall being another one who i know you've uh played with a a bit um who can kind of be in the space and just collectively elevate everyone together um and and i feel like you do that really well and um what is your intention when you kind of step out on stage uh when you go out you know with an audience what what are you looking to accomplish i guess to connect to uh a higher purpose you know a higher kind of vibration and to be able to communicate that and it to be shared and what one of the great things about you know at being able to perform in front of people is that people are part of the whole thing. It wouldn't mm. be, you know, the energy kind of goes off them and they, they receive it and give it back. And, and it, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a cycle, uh, yeah. kind of a, you know, a universal type thing. And so, uh, <clears throat> I guess, you know, getting over those stages is, mm. is, is being able to connect and to be able to, um, communicate, you know, something 
to a group of people from one person. Yeah. How was it for you over COVID when you weren't able to connect in person? Well, I think it was just, it just, re I realized that, that how important the audience is to yeah. the show because there's not a show without audience. I also went to Brazil recently and like the party in the audience yeah. was kind of more than what's happening uh, or as equal to what was happening on stage. Sure. You know, it's just like, it, you know, if that makes any sense, I was like, oh man, I've been missing out being on stage all this time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I got, it kind of gave me a, a, a different, you know, not that it, I don't go to plenty of shows, which I do, but just yeah. the, the energy of the audience when that unity is, can happen is, is pretty powerful. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, because when people come to your shows and, and I guess just anyone going to any show, you know, it's not necessarily about the artist as much as it is about themselves going to awaken something or going to have a great time for themselves. And you're kind of the facilitator of that experience. Now, of course, they're buying tickets because they they know that you're going to help facilitate this great experience for them. Uh, but I would imagine it's probably quite a different energy and vibe when it's a band show and it's at Red Rocks and it's more of a party uh, and it's outside and whatever versus when it's more of an intimate theater and people are seated and you're kind of, uh, they're just taking it in uh, acoustically. Yeah, I mean... I mean, I think that there's there's both those things where it's like the element of being an event, but I think mm. you know primarily as an artist, the the best way to connect is with people who really value the music, and I mm. understand like the idea of like festivals and all this kind of stuff to like yeah. expand your audience, but um when it gets to the point where it's not about the artist is when you kind of lose the point. Mm. You know, I think, yeah. I think if, if I was to see like Stevie wonder, Jimi Hendrix, I'd want to be seeing them. It wouldn't be like, Oh, I was at this festival and I saw Jimi Hendrix, Sure, you know, or, or this kind of thing. So I think, yeah. I think that level of the festivals where, everyone is kind of like being put together that necessarily wouldn't be in the mm -hmm. festival itself being the event as opposed mm -hmm. to the actual artist being the event, you know, that kind of turned it, it, you know, when festivals started happening. Sure. And I mean, I think, you know, you found yourself in an interesting, uh, position throughout your career in that I feel like you've always kind of drifted below the mainstream and built a kind of a cult following of people who are always showing up for the artist, for you, the artist, and for your records versus just a hit song or something like that, that they heard on the radio and that they like, you know, passively enjoy and then go with their friends. And so I feel like um, you know, the experience that you probably have with your audience uh, is going to be quite different than what a pop artist might have, even if they're, you know, playing 
bigger, larger stages because it's a fleeting thing that they, you know, go through when it's just a, a flash in the pan moment of a hit and you kind of sustained this level where you've, you know, you have built an audience based on, you know, your records and the music because you've been below that mainstream point. Yeah, yeah, I think some, it's always challenging when, you know, you're relying on, on, you know, pop radio or something because you always kind of be beholden to kind of whatever changes they make yeah. musically or creatively. But I think that, um, you know, I always wanted to have big records. Don't get me wrong. So, I, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Yeah. And, and eventually records became big records yeah. and they became gold or platinum records. But uh, it just took me a long time. And I've been really fortunate to have people that kind of came along the way and listened. And it wasn't just an explosion right away, you know, even mm -hmm. though that would have been nice. Because um, mm -hmm. I think that that. Um, but my stuff was always a little kind of uh you know speaking on the human condition in the time yeah. when people really didn't speak about it you know mm. so i think that you know to be able to kind of express yourself even in especially in in kind of like rock music or whatever mm -hmm. you know it was kind of like a period of of of, of energy as mm. well you know so so it just yeah yeah i mean your 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 records uh right i think i read somewhere that uh they achieved or um it i think your your the clarence greenwood uh album uh recordings achieved gold status like a few years after it came out or something like that or uh some of your songs even no, like, like yeah that yeah that went gold like 15 years later isn't that that's nuts? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. That's so. This is it's like, crazy. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy because that record never charted, not one right. week. Right. That's on nuts. radio or sales, and uh, just continued over the years. And and it's it's a very kind of uh, money ball scenario if you ever saw the money. But it's course, it's yeah. just it's kind of like a long term. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, yeah, and, and your sound and, and you've kind of maintained this, this, I mean, I would argue more of a, a timeless uh, sound that has remained consistent where listening to that record now is as current and prevalent as listening to it when it came out 20 years ago. Um, and it's probably why it's maintained that steady upward growth um, is because it, it didn't have the, you know, the uh, timely production uh, elements and techniques of the moment and of the era, which kind of stamp it of uh, a time period is like, you know, my favorite game to play is listening to a, a song that's on wherever I'm at and try to pinpoint the year within like two or three years. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I'd be able to do that if I didn't know your music and I just heard a song come out. I, I, I wouldn't know if it came out yesterday or came out, you know, 20 years ago. And that's, I think the timeless nature of it and why it's kind of, you know, stayed relevant and achieved gold status 15 years after it came out. 
thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I mean, I guess the point was to try to make something that was timeless. I mean, that was always kind of it's one thing to make a great song, but then it's how do you make a great record? Right. And how do you get a great performance out of that record? And how do you make it speak out of the speakers? Because you know, it can speak to you in your house, and you can speak mm-hmm. to you funny friends it can even speak live yeah but uh, those speakers don't really lie (laughs) (laughs) i love that i'm curious about your process with this new record uh so far you've released three singles off of it uh miss prado close to you and, and dancing lullaby um i feel like speaking of production i mean this is a this is a a it especially um close to you the production it's it's far more involved than production that I've heard on your records in the past. And there's a lot happening. The the kind of the sonic landscape is is very is vast and it, and there's a lot happening there. Whereas like especially as contrast to kind of your last album, which was just acoustic. Um, what was the decision to kind of go in this sonic direction for this album? Well, it was interesting because I wanted to, to make the vocals really great. We started out even for close to you, start with the vocals and guitar mm-hmm. and get the vocals really nice. And, 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 and it kind of came from the song just being let, led from that and hmm. brought in some orchestration because I felt like we needed it and and when i got close to <clears throat> when i had song songs certain a certain way you know kind of close or or started i started working with alex elena who <clears throat> I, I usually produce all my own records but mm-hmm. alex did a great job in like just being a creative ear that, that and also contributor and collaborator mm. as well so i think this one kind of was able to be you know when somebody's in the room that gives you con- confidence on a creative level not just on a technical level sure that um that it, it was just a great thing we started just gelling and trying a whole bunch of things and not being uh but i think i think the vastness of the record um has to do with just a culmination of stuff I've always wanted to do as well mm. and, and and kind of spending a lot of time with it and having that you know collaborator and Alex to, to do it with cool that's great um yeah no it's it's uh what's what's cool is you know so much of your your music is about the vibe and the energy and the feeling um and the the lyrics always kind of help guide and and it it all feels very connected um and so i mean this this production works really well it it doesn't stray by any means i think it it absolutely enhances the song and the vibe and it 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 elevates um and it's really it's one that you can really just settle into and fall deep into 
Um, I I love the trumpet. I'm a trumpet player, so I appreciate yeah. the little little trumpet flares happening yes. throughout. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that that it reminded me of like the Gabriel calling when I was in there in the session. I was like, can you just do this thing at the beginning? Yeah, and uh, you know, and and horn player killed it. He did a great yeah. job. You know? That's great. Um, so I want to talk a little bit. Uh, just kind of about the behind the scenes on the business side, because, you know, if I counted correctly and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you've been with four different major labels over the course of your career. And then the last few records have been independent. Is that correct? Yes. yes. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, first off, kind of, what has it been like if we just rewind a little bit going back? What was it like to kind of jump from label to label, record to record? And and how was that experience? I mean, it was just part of whatever, you know, I was really lucky to get some interest in, in, in those companies. I'd always kind of felt like I had to get a major deal so i, I kind of went after and, and tried to shop my own deal at the time and 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 got was able to you know get people's attention and eventually led to me getting with people that i, I trusted on the creative side so you know i was i signed with, with uh the first record i label i did i put, i signed and the record didn't come out and then I signed with DreamWorks. I had to do a whole new record. Oh, wow. I signed with Capital first. So the record didn't come out. They dropped me. And then I went to DreamWorks. Had to make a whole new record. And then <laughs> I did the record. And it felt like the marketing promotion when I played him sideways and Sun's Gonna Rise for the second record. I felt like they didn't weren't really going to get it. <laughs> and I just put the thing out with, uh, sideways with Carlos Santana on Arista and felt like that would be a better place for me to put my second record out because I didn't feel like they understood the big songs that I had coming. Yeah. And also I'd given them an opportunity with drummer and, and if there's love and I felt like they kind of DreamWorks wasn't a marketing promotion. It was kind of like a pyramid scheme. Great executives <laughs> on the creative side. Yeah. But it was great executives on the creative side, and I love those guys, Lenny Walker, Moore, Austin, sure. uh, Michael Goldstone. But, you know, they so it was kind of like a situation, and they ended up folding like before I even put my next record out. So mm. it was kind of a thing that I, I kind of pre, you know, I saw something coming. So these, yeah. this isn't working. Sure. And, 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 uh, did the record with Arista and then they closed their doors and then it went to RCA for two records. So, mm. um, I, I felt like it was more just the, the creative people on the label side that I signed with were switching so much where yeah. the companies would go down. So it wasn't like, I think if I would have had one, like if I would have stayed at Arista the whole time and it, it is not, and it not, you know, fallen. Mm. And now it's back. 
But yeah, um, <laughs> not so, like not like the old heirs. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the old heirs, the old heirs, the old heirs too is not a joke. <laughs> so, well, I'm curious about the first record that you did with Capital that they shelved. They didn't put out. Uh, I mean, that can be a traumatic experience for a lot of artists, and that can be kind of the that can be a death toll for a lot of artists. I mean, that that's something that that kills a lot of bands if they sign with a label, they make the record and they shelve it, they don't put it out. I mean, I've heard bands breaking up because of that. I mean, how was that for you? And and did they just release you? And were you able to re-record those songs, or did you have to write all new songs for the record you did with DreamWorks? I- no, I had to r- write all new songs. Wow. And so then, and then what happened is they have a re recording restriction and all right. this kind of stuff. But uh, to answer the question, it was really, really hard to get dropped because I felt like my life it was going to change. And I think that happens with any artist that that happens to where they get dropped. It's kind of like you get this oh wow i told you so moment and then it goes down to the like i told you so. <laughs> the other people say it i told you so yeah so yeah, uh yeah. It's not as easy as it looks out there you know <laughs> so so i think i had a, a moment of 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 uh you know kind of a it was just a spiritual test and what happened was that it made me write if there's love and write salvation and write mm all these other great hands of the saints and let the drummer kick and, 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 you know, kind of, kind of continue on. I'm not saying it was easy. It was really difficult, but then, cause it's harder actually after you get dropped and it gets signed again, cause you kind of got this you know, stigma about you, yeah. but a lot of, uh, you know, I think it just, it can easily break you down and then, yeah. Then the DreamWorks thing happened, and then I was like, oh, God, this is a, really a record company on the marketing and promotion side, you know. And, and when Arista happened, it was just like, oh, that was devastating because I had mm. the Clarence Greenwood recordings, right. and that was about to be really pushed hard. But it's just one of these things is it's taught you to, you know, for spiritual and personal growth, you know, mm. this whole the whole path musically, creatively, and also on the business side is just really taught for you to learn something. And yeah. and it's not meant to be easy. That's for sure. Um, so you've been putting out records independently now for some time. Um, it's what it's probably been at least 10 years or so. Um, and you kind of... Uh, What's been the the process of kind of going at this now on your own with with rainwater recordings um, and just like is that a full is that an operation is it just the name that you slap on the records you self release? Yeah, it's just a name I slap on and and and, and I uh, also you know we hire publishers do the same things hire sure. publishers hire uh, uh, radio people and then. You have to approve artwork and all this and, yeah. and do your little campaign. Um, but it's, you know, it's obviously harder without, you know, that, that, that push behind you. Um, yeah. even though I didn't really use the majors, 
before that, and that's one of the reasons I left. I didn't use the A&R department or right. the, uh, at that point, you know, at the point I was at, Air, at RCA, but I relied heavily on A&R, you know, mm-hmm. in the past. And, and it was greatly, um, you know, I think that's one of the hard things about doing it independently is you don't have a record man. And I think every artist needs a record man. And a record, man a record is man? somebody. Yeah. A record man is somebody who understands your potential and how to get that on record. And that could be mm. a record industry guy, um, you know, it, it, and also with the means to help develop you. You know, not just with an opinion, but putting my money and is an interest and time. And has expertise in making big records, so that's that's like kind of, you know, Jimmy Iovine's a record man essentially. You know, he's a corporate guy, but he's essentially a record man. Lenny Walker was a record man. L.A. Reid is a record yeah. man. You know, like they uh, before him, Ivan Erdogan. You know, all these kind of people. So I think one of the takeaways from that is you're like relying on your friends or family or check this or a musical period but there's nobody in there that's like oh i remember when you know i was doing the record with prince and and i just came in and i realized that you know he 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 could produce himself you know Mm -hmm. those kind of those kind of and and also insights of hey what do you think of this oh go go in and cut it you know, those kind of moments I would call Lenny Walker and I called him when I did Sideways. I said, what do you think of this? He said, go on and cut it. Just that. Just the trust yeah. was right in, in in putting you just to go do it. Yeah, so yeah. you have you have a, a, a kind of a, a, an outlet that's not kind of a, that, that has skin in the game. You know, yeah. even though it's not their own money, but it's it it's their reputation, and they also sure. essentially want you to reach your potential. I think mm. that's what a, you know they see something great in you. You're you're talking um, a lot in the present tense. Uh, I don't know how common that is. Uh, how common that is these days. Uh, we're not seeing as much development with new sign new signings with artists like that i mean it's it seems in kind of at least the major label realm over the last 10 15 years it's like you have to be established understand who you are and and already making uh waves before kind of a, a label will touch you in that development i don't know i haven't seen too much of in the last 10 15 years is something that we've really lost with kind of the rise of of uh you know the new music business with social media and with streaming and all of that it's like what has been your uh experience in terms of just kind of like maybe some of your peers or colleagues and uh what you're seeing in the in the label realm of uh, kind of some of the newer artists that are coming out well i think you hit it right on the head you know they 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 already had to they established themselves in a, in a way with with what their what their sound was yep. what everything else was and then then once they could you know needed to reach a, a different level they 
you know, sign on with a major. But I think sure. I think there's there's still development in that thing. I think what you know the artist her, I think she was developed for a That's long true. time. Peter Edge, Peter Edge did a great job with her, and and she did a great job and and waited probably waiting a long time. And I think that there there still are artists that are have been in the system. I think for a minute and 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 have developed in their own way because but i think it takes it does take that personal interest in some way or if if it's a, a small label they're able to push push the needle that way but it's definitely um algorithms that are followed and it's yeah. not really hard it's not as much hard strings yeah, I mean, you know, the I think the median age of A&R reps at major labels right now is like 24. And uh, that's because they're just sitting on TikTok all day just trying to, you know, just see what's trending and and they're looking at spreadsheets and finding the algorithm and and you know, just uh bringing in the artists that kind of have something moving right now uh and and yeah, there there's a little bit of that development. Oftentimes they're coming in through a production deal and there's you know a lot of uh or like a indie label that you know does a, a joint venture or something with a major but then oftentimes we hear you know the artist traded everything and that's why megan the stallion's like you know suing her initial uh management label production company all in one because in the label because they uh she doesn't feel now that it was something that uh was fair uh for her but it's um so it's yeah it's it's interesting where we're at right now um i'm curious well, I mean, yeah yeah go ahead All right. ask the question ask the question i was but gonna I, pivot I, a little bit <laughs> yep pivot all right i i was gonna say so now that you're releasing records independently um and is there a difference in process um, and how you approach it? I mean, it seems like you were given a lot of freedom and autonomy to make records the way you wanted to make them um, with the people you wanted to make them. It seems like most of your songs are just solely written by you. You produced most of the stuff yourself. I didn't have too many collaborations that were kind of pushed on you. Uh, what's been the biggest difference has it just been kind of ha having to manage the uh the release process and strategy and all of that Real quick, I want to let you know about DistroKid. Well, I'm sure you already know about DistroKid, but they are partners with Ari's Take, and they are a great company that can help get your music distributed to Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all of that. Over a million artists use DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I have distributed some of my music in the past. And something I appreciate about DistroKid as not just an artist, but someone who studies this space is they have been one of the most innovative companies over the last 10 years. They came in and completely changed the game. One of the first companies offering unlimited uploads, and now most of the other distributors have had to change their policies to kind of copy and follow suit uh, what DistroKid was doing, and the industry had changed, of course. DistroKid doesn't keep a commission. That means you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings from the DSPs. They also offer payment splitting. They call it splits, something that 
for me at this point is a deal breaker. I don't want to have to cut checks to all my collaborators and the producers and everybody else that is owed royalties and owed splits from my earnings. DistroKid will cut those checks directly. You can get them to uh, your collaborators to sign up, and then DistroKid will cut all the checks to all your collaborators. And they were one of the first to offer that of the DIY self-service distributors. DistroKid continues to innovate. Check them out. If you need to get your music out there, DistroKid.com. That part. But that, that, that's what I was just saying, really, about just the, the connection with the 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 record man mm. the, the kind of unit sure. and i think i think that's 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 one thing the difference is also that there's not it's harder and harder to get to your own audience now yes. so it's it, you can't even get to them let alone new yeah. people and yep. and i think that the all the major kind of internet companies have you know kind of trying to take ownership in people's data and all mm. this kind of stuff is not a good thing mm-hmm. it's not a good thing for Ticketmaster. it's not a good thing for the artists it's not a good thing for the fans um it's not a good thing for us not to be able to get to people who listen to our music because otherwise we have no way to grow and 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 so you end up advertising to a shrinking base Yep. And so it doesn't, you know, you could you, you could get lucky and sustain that luck for a while. And once, you know, your point is to get the music to as many people as, as, as can be. Mm-hmm. And if it's great, then, you know, one person tells five people and those five mm-hmm. people tell five people. And, and mm-hmm. then, you know, it kind of builds like that. But I think the point of the Internet was to have this kind of thing where everyone got to get access to things, but that access has been blocked. Yes. So it, it, it it's, it's, it's very difficult. And, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at the situations, you look at the numbers and streamings, it's like, do I really want to like take money and make records anymore? Mm. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of on that because you can make a cheap record, but then you have to market it. But you can't really make a cheap record if you want to make a classic. Right. It just doesn't take. It takes time, and you know, I, I was always into taking, you know, taking, you know, and, and time costs money. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to get to your uh, point about about uh, the promise of of the internet, I mean. Yes, it was supposed to be the great equalizer and the democratization of um, of music and and of of access, really. And you didn't necessarily need the gatekeepers as much to give you permission to reach an audience. But now we've kind of reached the other end of that spectrum, where because there's so much noise and they're just the gates are flung open and everyone's piling in, you know, with hundred thousand songs uploaded a day to Spotify or more. It's like, how do you stand out? And that's the real challenge right now. But then an artist like you, or you have, you have a fan base. It's like, it's still a struggle to reach them when you don't have that access. And any of the social companies can flip a switch and you lose all your access overnight to that audience. And same with, I mean, Ticketmaster and Live Nation. I mean, 
we should be getting our customers data and information. The fact that we don't know who's in the room at our shows, I mean, that's criminal. <laughs> right. <laughs> like right. we, <laughs> it's insane. I mean, that, yeah. Yeah. The the thing with that is that it it they want to hold their information and they call it their fans now. From I've heard promoters say, "Oh, these are our customers," and it's and it's and it's then they come in yeah. and they 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 hit them with a bunch of emails and they unsubscribe. Mm-hmm. So it's like Ticketmaster, you know, just because you want to see me doesn't mean you want to see, you know, Jack Johnson or so-and-so or slightly stupid or whatever. So they don't want to get all these emails from Ticketmaster. So they unsubscribe. So you lose the customer. So it's, it's not, I'll be honest. It was easier to sell tickets before the internet. Mm. Now, not on a high level because everyone knows about it. Yeah. Yeah, but but it used to be one paper would just write something in the weekly. Yeah, the club would announce it, and you know maybe you did some radio ads or something. Mm-hmm. But there was also a more active music journalism thing going on where you know there'd be people writing about stuff on a small level. You know mm-hmm. there'd be ways to to get it, but um, I think. Uh, just to add to your point, we have to get, you know, that access or otherwise, I think with Spotify, I think their, their point is just to get a whole bunch of people to do it. So if they do a billion songs, they do one stream, that's still a billion streams for them. And it's a billion, and it's the time spent on the, the app. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They don't care what the people are listening to as long as they're staying on the app and they're listening to something. That's why they've gone all in on podcasts because it doesn't it doesn't matter to them whether they're listening to a podcast or listening to a song. It just uh, for them, it's, you know, a user is a user and a playable minute's a playable minute. And that's just, you know, the, the numbers that they can use with investors and advertisers and all that stuff. I do want to get back to the yeah. point you mentioned is it even worthwhile for you to make records anymore because of streaming? Um, what do you see now that you own all the rights to your, your music and your records and masters and all of that by releasing it independently? Um, are you, and you've, you've established such a, a diehard audience and, and fan base. Are you, do you do you look at making a record as what is it going to return financially for you or do you take money from what you make live and say you know what it's important for me to make new records with that even though I know it's not necessarily going to uh re- recoup my investment yeah i've always i've always been crazy about my records and spent a lot of my own money on it even yeah. when i got advances i wouldn't take like I'd spend all the whole thing on the record. So it, it was really more about, like I say, making a, a timeless piece of art yeah. and then, and then the value of that. Um, when I say worth, I mean, a financial, you know, where, where it, it, it there's diminishing returns where it's just like, Oh, how much, how, how many of these can you afford to make? As they have, 
built a system to be able to, you know, that everyone right now, you have to sell for the same price. I don't understand this. You know, I don't understand why you, have, you know, streaming is the same price for somebody that's just doing this as a hobby and then somebody mm -hmm. who's doing it that actually brings people in. And, and, and so I think you have another situation where eventually that, that will change. Yeah. So right now it's not valued very high, but mm -hmm. you know, there's, for example, a lot of the distributors are just giving away the licenses and blanket licenses. Whereas these licenses are not being given away by majors and it's not being given away by publishers. So if you do a deal with Facebook or if mm -hmm. you do a deal with TikTok, but on the master side, a lot of the indie tune cores and distro kid, they don't do masters. They do blanket licenses. So therefore there's no value. You know, some of the license I've got as a publisher for Facebook and TikTok are very substantial. Mm -hmm. Whereas on the master side, they're not doing that on the indie side. Mm. If, you if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, well, if you look at the indie distributors like a TuneCore, a DistroKid, or CD Baby, or any of them, it's uh, they're serving a customer base, which is their artists who just want to be everywhere, and it's less important for them um, to uh, to be have their music withhold and from the platforms to have better leverage to negotiate whereas they just want to be everywhere and if you talk to kind of those art of the majority of the artists with these standalone diy distributors they would tell the distributor just get us on there we don't care about you know uh the the license and and or the fees and the business model for these it doesn't really make a difference to a distro kit or a tune core uh what they get for the license considering they don't make a commission they're not they don't have any skin into the business model for them is that artist pays an annual amount and they're these companies are are built on subscription basis so whether you know doing a license with tiktok if they pay a hundred million or a dollar it's kind of like for them they're not paying any of that uh to their their the contract that they have with their customers which is the artists is they don't take a commission. And so like for them, it's like, well, if you just want to be on the platforms, we're not really going to push that hard for a higher license fee because you're going to, um, you know, we don't, we don't make any of that really is how it works. But I'm curious. So do you have a publishing deal still? Yes. Who are you? Who are you? Who's your publisher? I have an administrator with uh, Wixen. And Randall Wixen. Got it. And when they do the deals uh, for your songs with these platforms, are you getting paid from those? Yes. Oh, you are. Oh, that's yes. That's good. Okay. So that's why I'm bringing it up because I see <laughs> the publishing. I see the publishing check, and the even when I was on minor major labels, the majors aren't contributing that side of, of the money to my to my unrecouped fund. So, oh wow! So, so Sony did a deal with Peloton. Mm -hmm. My publisher did a deal with Peloton. 
Sony got paid the same thing I got paid because in Peloton situation, it was a one for one deal. Mm. So if anyone did their deal with Peloton, Peloton had to pay everybody. Yep. So they, they paid with the rights holder, the, the publishing company and the, the master holder. And our publishing company was, was, you know, Peloton was cool with us as far as like, okay, they, you know, they were about to go public. So they wanted to get all the, all the right stuff dealt with. Yeah. But they did that with all, and I'm not sure what kind of deal Sony did or Universal deal did, but they didn't contribute it to the unrecouped fund of the artist. But, and there were dollar for dollar numbers because it was a license, mm. the one for one license for Peloton. Well, that sounds like some shady accounting practices on the major, on the labels part. And I, I would be curious how they got away with uh, doing, uh, striking a license deal for their entire catalog and not having to well, I mean, pay that out. I mean, it wasn't even for the catalog. It was for the people that were, that were, that were violated. And the numbers were written, you know, all the numbers were down. So it was all automated to, oh, okay, this got violated a thousand times or whatever mm. and and so it if it was a situation well i don't know anyone at, at a major that got those 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 things happening so i mean i've been real happy with with you know what wixon has done that's good yeah i mean i'd be curious uh I mean, do you still, because I'm assuming these labels, uh, I guess like uh, Sony Universal, who um, are still have the rights to some of your earlier records, um, they they must have to report to you. So you're you're looking at the reports and you're... you're yeah, seeing, you see the yeah. audits and they're not putting that down. And also I have other artists that have major publishing, friends of mine that have major publishing company deals and that did settlements with the company i mean they're doing settlements with tiktok and facebook on the master and the publishing side yeah so that's 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 what they they've been doing mm -hmm. and it's pretty substantial yeah yeah so uh, it, you know the way they can do it is just hold on to that money i mean it's the reason black chief is suing um they're late universal right now over the copyrights that were based because the labels gave license in exchange for profit share, which, you know, Spotify. So mm. instead of taking that money and distributing it, they, they gave a little bit or none right. to the artists and they didn't even really give because it's essentially a license it's right. not we're licensing this catalog so a license is one for one publisher yep. master yeah and then master side would make you be able to get a piece of that deal right i mean if it yeah how the contracts the label contracts used to be written sales were calculated differently than uh licenses and i think that was kind of uh you know pre-streaming that's how a lot of the contracts were written and so that was the argument that's why like eminem sued you know 10 15 years ago as well because yep. they're like oh this exactly. is a, 
a license and we should be getting 50%, not 18% or whatever. Um, and so now, now the labels have smartened up <laughs> and they're like, okay, well, we're putting in our new, in these contracts, uh, that streaming equals sales. And that's going to be the royalty amount that we pay out. Um, but they should still be paying if they're the, out for these settlements, uh, these licenses with, with like Peloton and, and Facebook and TikTok and all of that. But well, they, they might they're, not be. They're not. They're not. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you got that's why yeah. you got to audit them, I guess. Right. But, you know, it's it's just a situation. Like, sure. You know, I, I'm not sure exactly what they settle with TikTok or Facebook, but, you know, it's it's known that they, mm -hmm. they do those deals. Oh, yeah. I mean, the NMPA just sued Twitter today. They just announced that they're suing Twitter for $250 million today because of all these infringements um, and that they haven't really struck a licensing deal uh, with publishers. So if that goes through, you'll probably see another windfall from Wixen uh, <laughs> sometime fairly soon, <laughs> theoretically. But yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's 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 good. Um, so I, I uh, this is. Um, I guess moving forward, you know, you got this this record coming out. Um, what what do you have a release date of the the full record, the full album? I think it was going to be in early July, but now we're looking at at like late July, July twenty eighth. Cool. And who do you use for distribution for this? That is just we're just going straight with TuneCore on this. TuneCore, one. cool. Um, is that how it's been through the last uh, all the records, or have you changed distribution over the years? I've got a couple, uh, like four through TuneCore, and then there's one through, uh, or, or, a couple went through the the Orchard. Okay, cool. I saw one of them was, so, uh, at least it listed as, as marketed and distributed by 30 Tigers, but that was, uh, that was probably yeah. a few years back, right? That was, yeah, that was the 30 Tigers one. I did one with them, and I did one with Megaforce, which is Missy. Right, he's always been real cool. Uh, it's it, 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 the Orchard killer. Well, Cope, this is uh, it's been a great, great time chatting with you, and uh, I appreciate you for being so transparent about everything. It's uh, it's nice to hear when artists can kind of like pull back the curtain a little bit. And I know that everyone listening to this really appreciates uh, hearing everything from you. Um, I have uh, I have one final question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, and that is, uh, what does it mean to you to make it in the new music business? I think it's to find inner peace. I think it's to find, I think the whole thing is a spiritual test. And whoever's been put into this thing has been put in to learn something because this will test you in every single way because your heart is involved and your art is involved and you're, and it's intertwined with livelihood, which is intertwined in this society with success. And we have to, um, we're usually empathetic and we put our love into what we do and we uh, love a taste of acknowledgement here and there. We love to be able to take our significant others out to a meal sometimes. And I think that I think every level of this thing will give you tests. Like the bottom of it will test you to see what you're made of. 
if you get some success, the level of success you get, a lot of people can't handle it. Mm. And a lot, there's levels of, 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 and I hate that word success, but uh, what, what we would consider as that sure. is I think that, that it, all the different things in music come for you, you know, the ego, the money, the sub, you know, access to substances or whatever, this kind of thing. Um, and all those things can, you have access to all of them, you know, whether it's uh, companionship with somebody that you never thought you could have companionship with. So I think a lot of things are open to you after not having any of them, mm-hmm. you know? So I think, I think that's why I look at this as more of a spiritual kind of path than we look at it as kind of a material one. Mm. Beautiful. Citizen Cope, thank you so much. That was great. Yeah. And I wanted to add one thing. Yeah. I wanted to say that I feel that the artist is not part of the music industry. And the reason I say that is that the managers, the agents, the promoters, the labels, everybody works in conjunction with each other. Whereas like an artist is interchangeable and can go, you know, five years and and this, they're usually cycle is like five years or whatever. And I think the business, the on the secret in the business is that they are the business and they're the industry. And we were not at the table at all these discussions. The artist was not at the table at all these discussions. Right. And we didn't get any say so if the music was being lent out to Spotify or whatever, for what yep. rates. And that was not what should have happened. Mm. Nothing against Spotify or whatever. They and they say, well, it's good. You know, a lot of times say, well, we do it for the artists. We do it for the artists. We do it for the artists. But that's really not the case. It's mm. for the right holders. So the right holders can pay a pittance to the artists. And I think that we have to realize the reason we're not a unit is that we're not collaborating on the business side. Mm. You know, we always talk about collaborating creatively and all this, but we're not really sharing our information. We're not, we're not, you know, heads off to you for doing what you've done. Cause you, you actually do that. You share a ton of information. that's super valuable to people. Thank you. So it's like, you know, and these communities can grow and, and all that kind of thing. But I think that, and it's not a us against them thing at all. I think sure. that I think we would, we would definitely look to have more power as a unit, you know, mm. whereas artists got together and, and realized that, um, we should be at the table at some of these discussions because even if it's not now, what's the next one going to be? You know, like right. how do how right. do you figure that out? You know? And yeah, we need a we need some kind of a a real functioning cohesive union or something that represents all artists that can that will demand a seat at the table, uh, like the writers are doing right now with, in Hollywood with the writers' yes. guild strike. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yes. Yes. So. 
and every every athletic team has it you know you mm-hmm. know every 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 like major professional thing has it and we don't have you know we don't have the mentorship or the coaching anymore you know yeah. and it right. and it's not and it's not you know this is this is real you know i think artists have met, are kind of like even in or kind of pit against each other mm. and and so i i think it would be great for us not to, you know, it's, you know, we can be pit against each other personally or taste wise or whatever, this and that or ego wise. But as far as the, the financial part, I think, you know, there's a lot of things we can do. Yes, definitely. Well, let's get working on it. Let's make all it happen. All right. All right. <laughs> well, hit me up. Right. Will do. All right, thank cool, you so man. much. And thank Thanks you for doing everything you've done. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. We'll talk to you. Peace. Peace. Today's episode was edited by Maxton Hunter, theme music by Brassroots District, and produced by all the great people at Ari's Take. So it is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is a distribution service that can get your music into all the DSPs like Spotify, Apple Music, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram. Over a million artists have used DistroKid. I'm one of those artists. I've used DistroKid to get my music out, distribute some of my songs. As you know, as I look into all of these distribution services, I test them out. And DistroKid is great. They offer a ton of features, annual fee unlimited uploads, and you keep 100% of your royalties. Check out districtkid.com.